Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for, the, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is God's word. So what does God have for Westgate in 2024? What might God do through us this new year? We join him in this work by laying a foundation of prayer. Even though he is God, Jesus prioritized prayer. When he cleansed the temple, he didn't declare, it is written, my house shall be a house of preaching. Nor, my house shall be a house of worship, a house of discipleship, nor a house of evangelism. Jesus declared, my house shall be a house of prayer. He was a man of prayer. He prayed over every major event in his life. And he regularly broke from the crowds and his disciples who were clamoring for him to go off and have times, countless times, long periods of time with his father in prayer. He is the model for us. Let's pray. Our Father, I am so inadequate to preach, but more so to preach about prayer, for I have not been a man of prayer. God, I want to become that man. So, Lord, you've been speaking to me through this passage. Speak now to each one of us through these words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Since prayer is central to our spiritual lives and to our ministry, we're going to open this year with four sermons on prayer, calling us to more frequent and deeper prayer. This morning we start by looking at the first prayer that Jesus would have ever heard, Simeon's prayer. Jesus is only six weeks old. His father and mother bring him to Jerusalem where they dedicate him and they offer doves as a purification of Mary who according to the law was unclean for 40 days after giving birth. Simeon is in the temple. 
He's been waiting for the Messiah, having been told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw him. Being filled with the Spirit, he recognizes Jesus as that Messiah. He takes him in his arms and he bursts into a prayer of proclamation. As we look at this prayer of proclamation, we're going to see what it might teach us for our prayers. This passage offers us a window into the importance of our character as we pray and will help expand the content of our prayers. So we're going to look at the character and content. So Luke describes Simeon before he records Simeon's prayer, saying this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Our character greatly impacts our prayers. Because our prayers come from inside us. They, they are expressions of who we are. And that's why James says, the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it's working. See, these prayers are powerful because a righteous person is best aligned with God. See, prayer is about our will coming into union with God's will. And so often, we come to God with our will, and we pray and pray, hoping to change God's will to meet ours. When in reality, for a righteous person, they want to know God's will. And so they learn God's will, and they pray God's will. And God answers, just as 1 John 5 says, this is the confidence that we have toward God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. A righteous person is one who's right with God and living rightly before God. They are much more likely to be in tune with God's will than anyone else. Their prayers are effective. Simeon is a righteous and devout man. A devout person is one who lives in reverential awe of God. He fears God in the greatest sense of that word. This awe, when someone's in awe of God, it puts God at the center of their lives And so the prayers of a devout person are first and foremost about God having his rightful place in our lives and God's will being done. Their prayers are in harmony with God's plan and program because they're devout. The efficacy of our prayers begins with who we are. We can't expect to have rich prayer lives if we are not devout and in awe of God. That's where it all begins. 
seeing God for who he is, honoring him for who he is. In turn, our prayer lives deepen as we're in awe of God, and our awe of God deepens as our prayer lives center on him. Simeon is described as a man waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel refers to Isaiah chapter 40, the first verse and a half. Comfort, comfort, bring consolation. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, and that her iniquity is pardoned. For years, Simeon has been dreaming of what the Messiah would accomplish for Israel and for the pardoning of our sins that bring us back to God. He knows that humanity will be saved, God will be glorified, not through a divine declaration, but through a person. Messiah has always, always central to, to Simeon. And he should be central to us, especially in our prayer lives. See, we can only come into God's presence because the sin that was a barrier between us and God has been placed on Jesus Christ, taken by Christ, so that now we can have access to the throne of God's grace because of what Christ has done for us. He is the sole mediator between God and man. And we should be praying in his name, in his authority, desiring his interests above ours all. Simeon was also filled with the Holy Spirit, reminding us of Paul's words to the Ephesians. Pray at all times in the Spirit. So I've had to ask myself, am I praying in the Spirit? Sadly, too often I've had to say no. I've been praying in Bruce. And so it's my desire, my intent to give more and more of my prayer life to, to the Spirit of God. I've too often been with God like a child jumping into Santa's lap and presenting his wish lists of everything that he wants Santa to fulfill instead of being led by the Holy Spirit. So I think I'm making some progress. A number of books have led me to begin my prayer times by pausing, being still before God, so that it's, he becomes central. To, to having my prayers led with being in awe of God, praising him, adoring him, recognizing him for, for who he is, so that my prayers will become God-centric. Which means I, I trade in my agenda that I want God to fulfill for his agenda. 
so that my prayers become less Bruce-centric and more God-centric. And I'm not just jumping into prayer. I try to center myself with the Lord and open His Word. For the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And I know if I am praying in line with the Word of God, then of course the Spirit of God would be leading me. It's something I've found so valuable in our Sunday morning and Tuesday morning prayer times. We always open with God's Word. And we always let the first prayers that we pray flow out of the passage that God has been speaking to us. And I'm finding these things helpful in my spirit, my prayers being more spirit-led. Simeon was righteous and devout, focused on the Christ, and led by the Spirit. That should be our example. That's the character out of which God would have us to pray. So now we look at the content of, of Simeon's prayer. Now, his prayer is a prayer of proclamation about Christ, but we can see his passions in his heart in those prayers. And we could deduce what he would be praying in light of those passions. So, the content of his prayer highlights three significant emphases of prayer. It's not comprehensive, but three areas of prayer that we should be praying before God. Our spiritual journeys. The outworking of Christ's salvation in the world and the outworking of Christ's salvation in our spiritual communities. Simeon prayed, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. See, he begins his prayer with often overlooked feature of prayer, but so important. And that's sharing where we are on our spiritual journeys. Simeon's journey was near its end. And he's content to leave this world since his life's passion of seeing the Christ has been fulfilled. He's at the end. We're, we're still at the beginning or we're still at the middle of our journeys. Jesus, even near the end of his journey, he prayed reflecting on his spiritual journey and then praying it forward in John 17. He prayed, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me, Father. Now glorify me. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. So I'm praying for them. But now I'm coming to you in these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy filled in them. See how he is praying in his spiritual journey, but praying it forward. We see this in the Psalms. The Psalms are filled with prayers expressing where the writers are on their spiritual journeys. Whether they're taking refuge in God, 
feeling overwhelmed by their sin, rejoicing in their forgiveness, crying out for God to help, or expressing their doubts before God, or feeling wonderfully cared for by God. They speak of God in their spiritual journeys, and they're enhanced by laying them out before God. The second feature of Simeon's prayer is about the outworking of God's salvation in the world for all peoples, he says. Gentiles and Jew, as he, as he cuddles the Christ child in his arms, he knows he holds the answer, God's answer, to all the brokenness in our world. Simeon can go home in peace trusting that God will save his people and the world. His, his words underline the importance of praying for Christ's salvation for the world, which he describes as being a light to the Gentiles in the glory of Israel. So Simeon treasures Jesus being a light to the Gentiles. As passionate as he is about his own people, his eyes are on the whole world as well. He sees the darkness we live in, and he rejoices that the light has broken into our lives so that we can see the spiritual darkness and turn to Christ as our salvation. He sees that the light enables us to walk in darkness as we follow Christ's light. And he sees the light as the ultimate hope for the world. We hear echoes of Simeon's desires in John chapter 1. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We should be praying for the light of Christ to shine into our world, to open blind eyes, to see him for who he is, believe in him, and become children of God. Our prayers should be permeated with concern for our lost neighbors and world. And you can join us in our prayer for the mission following the service, 10 minutes after the service this morning, to stake claim to, to this in our lives as a church. The third feature of his prayer is for the outworking of God's salvation through his spiritual community, Israel. Jesus is God's greatest gift to the world, and he came to us through the Jewish nation. It is sad to see how Christians have treated Jewish people 
often claiming they put Jesus to death when Simeon says Jesus is their glory. God told Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him who honors you I will curse and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Apostle Paul points out in the book of Galatians that that blessing came through not seeds plural but through seeds singular, through Jesus. He is Israel's blessing to the world. Charles Haddon Spurgeon captures the, the essence of Simeon's pronouncement. We must read this passage literally, for so Simon intended. The Lord Jesus Christ, though once despised and rejected by his own countrymen, is the great honor and splendor of God's people Israel. It is reckoned an honor to a nation when eminent persons are born of its stock and lineage. But Israel... Israel can claim the palm above all lands, for she can say the Lord sprang out of Judah. Put together all the heroic and famous names of Greece and Rome, add all the literary splendor of Germany, the flashing beauties of France, combine with these the blazing fame of Milton and Shakespeare and Bacon and Newton, and all the countries put together cannot compass so great a glory of manhood as the nation of Jews, for they claim not so much Moses, David, and the prophets as Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, in whom dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is God's gift of salvation and life through Israel. He is their glory. So what does that mean for our prayer lives? Keep Israel in our prayers. They're God's chosen people. Pray that they may realize Jesus is their glory. That they might come to faith with him and live for him. And be, find their glory in him. It also means that we should have a similar passion for our spiritual community. Simeon's prayer, he describes Israel as being your God, your people. And the church is grafted in to that vine. We are God's people as well. And so we see a similar prayer that Paul has for the church at the end of Ephesians 3. Now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than we can think or ask, according to the power that works within us, what do we expect to follow that? The great almighty power of God. May you do miracles that change everyone. May you raise the dead. No, he says, may to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. May to him 
be glory in the church. We need to become like Jesus Christ. We need to be his glory, shining his light into our darkened world. Let's make this our prayer throughout 2024. Father, may your glory be in us that we might reflect the light of Christ into the darkness that surrounds us. Our calling is to glorify the Lord in all that we are and all that we do. This is accomplished by God working in us and through us. And we fulfill this calling first and foremost by laying a foundation of prayer. We always say, God has to do it. Why would God do it if we are not praying to him for it? Let's begin 2024 asking God to transform our personal prayer lives and the prayer life of Westgate Church that we might become a house of prayer. Let's pray. Father, do lead us. Do guide us into this new season. Father, we are hoping to envision what you would have us to be in the future. We are hoping to, lay a, to, to do your work, to see how you would move us forward. Lord, may we bathe these things in prayer. Lord, may I become more a man of prayer. May we as elders become more men of prayer and leaders of the church. And may Westgate become more of a house of prayer. Amen.